Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. You know, if the world could just know how good he is, they would choose him. We would desire him. Amen? You know how they're going to know? Us. Yep. This is what we've been talking about. You know, we have one strategy. Jesus gave us one formula. That was it. Lots of principles, lots of teaching, lots of good things, but one specific strategy and formula rooted in his love for us, commanded to love one another, that our love for one another would be a testimony to the world that we follow him. And then he prayed that we would be one in him as he is in God and God is in him and he is in us and God is in us and they are in us together and we are in them. It's just one big oneness for the purpose of so the world will believe. I pray that they are one as we are one, so the world will believe. Amen? Amen. If they're going to believe, that means there should be some action in our oneness. And it's not necessarily how you vote. It's a little bit more spiritual than that. It has to do with this message that we carry. Amen? I mean, vote, do Early and often, yeah. Be, be, uh, be an American. I was thinking of words like duty and right, and those are good things, right? But there's a greater reality. I mean, we want our nation to be turned toward God. We need good people in there. Maybe we can find some of those one day, but we'll get Mike up in there. But there's just this greater reality If the body of Christ could see each other in light of what he's done in each one of us. I mean, think about this. This is just an exercise here for just a second. You guys look around for just a minute. Most of us are probably believers in here. Look, Look around. Look at each other and recognize that Jesus has done the same thing for you that he's done for me. I get a little disco music for this here. I mean, think about that. Just look at someone and say, okay, Jesus has done just as much for you as he's done for me. There is just as much of Jesus in me as there is in you. I have to recognize that Christ is in you. You know what I mean? It's like if the body could do that, if we could do that for each other, if when we look at each other and the first thing in your mind is not, I cannot believe they're voting that way. (laughs) But it's, you know, there's a greater reality here. There's a spiritual reality here. We need to be spiritually minded because that is life and peace. Carnal mindedness produces division, right? Spiritual mindedness makes room for disagreement, but there's still a unity. There's still a connection because there's a greater reality than what's happening in this world. Yes, what's in this world is important. Yes, what God has given us dominion over in this world is important, and we should steward it well, and we should, you know, study and be good stewards of what God has placed in our hands. But only because there is a greater reality. We should steward this temporary reality Because we know that one day it will fully experience the greater spiritual reality. And it's not, you know, we're not in this place where there's no hope for this world and we're just waiting for God to show up and rescue a powerless church. No. This is where God wants us to experience Him. We're not, you know, ascetics or what's the term? We're not Gnostics where we think everything that's physical is evil and we can't wait to be delivered from the physicality of creation. No, I think we can redeem it. God will redeem it ultimately, but we get to participate in the increase of his kingdom. Amen? I don't really know exactly how it's going to end. All I know is his kingdom will continue to increase now that Christ has been planted into this earth. Amen? And he's in us. And the only strategy we have is our love for one another. They look and say, oh, 
Those are Christians. Look how they love each other. Should be that simple. Oh, look at their unity in one another toward me? Whoa, something's going on here. It makes me want to believe in this God. And it's all wrapped in our love for one another. And then the display of that love toward people. Carrying this message. You know, because, we love, because God loved us, we love Him, right? And when we love Him, we say yes to Him. And we receive that free gift of righteousness. And we change our mind. And we yield to His Spirit to walk out of sin. To walk out of darkness. I mean, it's not just that we get to sit back and say, Oh, God loves me, everything's cool. That's true, but it keeps going. The cool part is that spirit that he gives you because he loves you will radically transform you. That's the message that we get to carry to the world. Look, there's a, there's a different way to live. You might not understand that you can even think differently than you think right now, but if you let me share this message with you, it'll make a difference in your life. You know, our, our collective love for one another as a body is what's going to open the hearts of the world. It's just, it's just true. It's the only strategy we have. Amen? Amen? But the message that we carry is the message evidenced in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we've been talking about unity and, and just looking at, you know, how, how to, how, what that looks like. I, I know I asked that question. And this is something that I'm praying for in my own life. What does it look like, God? What, what does coming into the unity of the maturity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God with all the parts of the body working to build and strengthen and mature one another for the purpose of us being one so that we can show the world this is what God does in a group of people and it's the evidence is they want Him. I don't know exactly what that looks like. You know what I mean? I know some things that it could look like, but I believe that's what God wants to do in the body. I, I'm endeavoring to let him. But there is an element of unity in the message, but it's in the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, the entire body of Christ will never preach the exact same thing, but we have to be okay with that. There are some non-negotiables, but I've just been looking back at the early church a little bit, and, and this, this, this idea of resurrection has been on my heart for the past week, two weeks, really. So it's immature to think that we're all going to express Christ the same way. But I think we should have the expectation that it's like, look, I owe it to you to find where you and I are one in Christ and start there. That's the mature thing that the body of Christ needs to do is find our common ground, start there. And I think the there that we start at is where the early church started, and that is fiercely focused on the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. Now, when you talk about that, there's lots of facets of the resurrection that, that we're talking about. When I think of the resurrection, I mean, obviously, yes, it's that one of my favorite elements is that Christ conquered death, conquered the grave, and he rose again with his own blood and went before the Father to present His own blood as a testimony of the sin offering that He was for the entire world. And I've said it before, but man, when I get to that heavenly holy of holies, I'm going to that altar and I'm looking for that blood. I want to see that blood that He sprinkled before the Father that is my forgiveness of sin, that is my testimony of righteousness, that is before the Father in the blood of Christ. I think it's still there. I think that's a literal thing that he did. Amen. Praise God. But there's also the element that he is an example of what God wants to do in your life. So in other words, what, G, what the Father did through Jesus shows you what he wants to do for you as well. Jesus conquered sin. God wants that for you. Jesus conquered death, evidenced in the resurrection. God wants to work that in you. Jesus conquered this world, 
transcended the world to be forever one with God. God wants that for you. Everything He did in Jesus is not just to open the door so you can then work your way into heaven. It's that, look what I've done in Jesus. Everything about Jesus is a testimony of what I want to do in you. There's so much hope. We can look at Jesus and say, okay, I don't understand, God, what's going on in my life in this area, but I look at what you did in the death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus, and I identify with that in that area. And there are elements of that that you want for me in every single area. So let's look. I'm going to read quite a bit of Scripture here. Y'all okay with that? Reading, we're going to read the Bible in church. It's <laughs> a good thing, right? Acts 2. Flip over to Acts 2.22, if you would. Acts 2.22. All right, we're just going to read out of the New King James here just to, make, just to kind of make it an easy read. Uh, we're going to go all the way through to 36. But... Keep in, keep in mind these ideas that the resurrection is what the early church focused on. Some of these things I feel like I'm just kind of putting out this call to the body of Christ, a call of unity to say, okay, let's find common ground. We know we can connect in the resurrection, right? We know that we can dig into what the early church taught and what they preached as our common ground as we move toward the world, all right? but then also the testimony that what God did through Jesus he wants for you. So look at both of those as we read through this. Does that make sense? This right here is Peter speaking. This is after the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, so 50 days after uh, the resurrection of Jesus. You know that Jesus was actually with them for about 40 days after the resurrection? About really about 43 days he was with them. So they actually only waited about a week for the Holy Spirit. It's just, it, you know, we, we get this idea that for 50 days they were waiting and fasting and praying. And it's like, well, no, Jesus was with them. He would appear and walk around and teach. And one, one time he talked to 500 people. Can you imagine that? The resurrected Jesus standing in front of you, teaching. So this is after Jesus ascended, and they are all the Holy Spirit's poured out in that upper room, and they're all praying in tongues, and they all understand each other in their own languages. And he confirms, he says, this is what Joel prophesied about the last days, that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. Then he goes on to talk to the people that want to arrest him for preaching Jesus, and he's pretty bold of how he speaks to these people. No fear. I mean, there's no fear in this. He's, he's, this is the guy that denied Jesus, right? I don't know the guy. But now that the Spirit lives within him, it's just changed. There's that inner, that inner witness makes the difference. Can I preach a minute? Just for a second here. See, a lot of times we don't receive from God what we know Jesus paid for because we are not connected to that inner witness. It's information that we agree with, but are we really connected to that inner witness, that spirit within us that's saying, no, you deserve to believe for this because Jesus paid for it. You are a child of God. You are a joint heir. It's in his blood. It's in his atonement. Receive it. Reach out and lay hold of what it is that Jesus paid for instead of it just being information. A lot of times we've got the information in our head that we agree with, but in our hearts we're freaking out and we are far from Him. Yeah. It's not a reality to us. That in, we're not listening to the inner witness of His Spirit. We are listening to the world or our circumstances. Stop it. <clears throat> so Peter... There's a lot in this that I'm about to read. Peter is speaking to them, and he's going to affirm to them what the early church message is, essentially. He's going to quote Psalm 16, and he's going to reveal in it that Psalm 16, written by David, is actually a prophecy about the Messiah. 
Are you with me on that? It's a very important precedent that Peter sets in interpreting Scripture. Specifically, when you go back and you read the Psalms, you can get incredible depth out of the Psalms because it's the mindset of the Messiah in the grave. I mean, some people have a little trouble with that, but it's, it's, it's incredible to see what Jesus actually suffered because it's prophesied in the Psalms over and over and over. You know, I do it on Easter many times here, but on, in Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is like the resurrection from Jesus' perspective. It's fascinating. Go, go read that and, and think of it from that perspective. Because the precedent is set here that uh, David is prophesying the words of the Messiah in the grave. Power, powerful stuff here. So, again... The resurrection is not just an event that we testify of. It is a living, it is a powerful element flowing from God that is still going on within us. There is still an aspect of the resurrection, the life-giving aspect of God, pulling us out of the grave, pulling us out of death and darkness and sickness into the life of Christ. So, you ready? Here we go. Men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, Hang on this scripture for just a minute, but, but get what's going on. Get what he's saying here. Remember, Jesus is a testimony of what God wants to do in your life as well, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he be held by it. The promise to Jesus was, one day you will sit at my right hand until your enemies be made your footstool. Amen. And Jesus didn't just fake like he died on the cross. He died the death of the sinner. This is so, you know, I, I don't have the picture that Jesus was just kind of faking it on the cross. He literally became the curse. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? God made him to be sin for us. And he died in that state. That was what caused him to sweat blood in the garden, was the anticipation that he was about to experience the kind of death that wicked people experience, to be that full exchange for you. How can you say that Jesus died a sinner? Well, he became you. It was either you or him. You can't do it. Amen. So it's not possible that he be held by death. Even having passed into the grave, having become your curse, having manifested all the effects of your sin within him, what caused him to be resurrected by God was his faith in what God had promised him. This is a big deal that we get this. See, when we preach the resurrection, we're not just preaching that Jesus was raised for our sin. We are preaching that in that grave, he died as us. There was a full exchange. There's a few other passages I'm going to read where we see the depths that God touched everything that exists with Jesus so that we can have the victory that he experienced. This is the message that we go to people with. We tell people, look, God is not holding your sin Amen. against you. Amen. You can be forgiven. You can experience this forgiveness. You can be set free from your sin. It is not possible for Jesus to be held by death. Translates for you that it is not for you in Christ, it is not possible for you to be held by your depression. Amen. 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 It is not possible 
that lack is stronger than Christ in you. Now, think about this, right? You, we, we, we skip over things like this. We don't take the time to really personalize and let our identity be renewed and marinate in these truths and take it upon ourselves and say, you know, I, I changed places. If, if it's not, I mean, we think, think about it. Death, for many of us, is the strongest force that exists because you die, you die, that's it. Not for Jesus. It couldn't hold him. What is it that you feel like is stronger than you? It can't hold you in Christ. See, what produces faith within you is not how strong you think you are, but how strong you think God is. If you want great faith, it's not that you do great, amazing things. It's that how confident are you in Jesus is great. Your faith grows and increases to be great as you behold him and you recognize what he did. And you personalize that. And that becomes strength for you. We're trying to figure out how to connect to and receive these things that he's got for us. It's like, you just trust. Look at him. To what degree are you confident in him? You have no trouble believing that Jesus rose from the grave, right? But does that translate to you that you have no trouble believing that you are delivered from poverty? Not so that you can drive your Bugatti up a golden driveway into your 10,000 square foot mansion, but so that you can be a blessing. So that you're not strapped by the slavery of debt. All right. It's not possible for him to be held by death. Translates to you, it's not possible for you to be held by those things. Only if you let them hold you. Only if you let that stuff swirl around in your mind to the degree that you take on that false identity. The real truth is you have been delivered from the power of darkness in any shape or form and delivered into his kingdom. That's what you get to expect. Next verse. For David says concerning him, so David is prophesying about Jesus and Peter is pointing it out here. This is Psalm 16 that uh, we're referencing. So I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Now get the picture. This is Jesus in the grave. Peter's telling us, this is David prophesying of Jesus, and it's talking about while he's in the grave. Jesus, your Savior, having died your death in the grave, is saying this. See, this isn't a facet of the resurrection that we don't get a lot of. We look at the resurrection, we say, okay, well, that's good. He raised for me so I could be forgiven. But no, he knows what you're experiencing on this planet because he already faced it in death and conquered it. He absolutely can set you free from your situation because he's that powerful in you. You no longer live by your own faith. You live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. This is the kind of faith that lives in you. He's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Next verse. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. Amen. You want to know how Jesus prayed? This is it. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Wait, next verse. For you will not leave my soul in Hades. Hades is the Greek version of the Hebrew Sheol. That was the place that Hebrews believed and Greek believed that the, the wicked dead went, awaiting the resurrection in hopes that maybe they would be redeemed as righteous in the end. It was very similar to what we believe as well. But Hades is not the lake of fire at the final judgment. We're not saying Jesus was in the lake of fire. It's not that he was in hell. The lake of fire is where angel, it was created for angels for one thing, and then it's where people will be cast into after the final judgment 
and after the resurrection, when God separates everyone, when every knee bows, and if you've received Christ, you enter into your eternal reward, and if you haven't, it's the lake of fire where you perish. This is not that place, just to be clear. So remember, Peter's telling us that David is prophesying the words of the Messiah, and what he's saying, the Messiah is saying, you're not going to leave me in this place, God. When you're sick, when you're facing that debt, when you're facing that depression, remember Jesus. Amen. Remembering the promise of God. You're not going to give up on me. I know you will not fail me, God. I know you will not abandon me to this place of destitute. God. I know because Jesus knew it and it came true of him in the resurrection. And that, that is a testimony to me that whatever I'm in, I can be delivered from. Amen. If you will deliver Jesus from the death of the grave and I'm in him, you will deliver me from that thing that holds me back. Just how far are you going to take that? I say all the way to heaven on earth. Are you, you following me? Yes. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. What that means is, if any commentary will tell you, he's talking about it's going to be soon, it's going to be less than three days, or it's going to be at three days because my body will not experience decay. This is, this is what it's talking about. After three days in their perspective, in the Hebrew perspective, the body was corrupt if it went further than three days after death. So he knows it's like, okay, he knew within three days it was going to happen. But think about it. He's outside the realm of time. Again, this is still David prophesying the words of the Messiah. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Can you say that with confidence before your father, before God, confessing back to him? You will make me full of joy and, and actually expect that. And I mean to the point where your heart's engaged, where you're actually confident in it, not where you're checked out and worry and you're, you're really focused on the world and you kind of one eye on him and one eye on the world and you're cross-eyed and you're not really believing it and experiencing it. Do you know what I mean? There's a difference. There's a confidence that has to be there in this, that God, because what's at stake is the character of God. What's at stake is do you believe that God really is who he says that he is, a deliverer, Amen. a provider? Amen. Because you will experience it to the degree that you can see him as that. It's not that he's standing there waiting for you to do something so he can grant it to you. You're, you're the only limiting factor in this equation. God says, I've given you everything. Amen. Now, how much of it are you going to let manifest? Next verse. <clears throat> Men and brethren. So this is back to Peter. He's going to describe here. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of, his, of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. Just a couple more verses. I'm just wanting you to get the full picture that Peter took a lot of time. I mean, we don't have a lot of full sermons recorded, but he took a lot of time to set the stage of this is who Jesus is historically. It is evidenced in prophecy, and this is what it means to us. So for David, so, so he says, okay, so we're, 
it's obvious that it wasn't David speaking of himself because David is dead. He hasn't yet ascended. So for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. There's a lot being said here. There's a lot that challenges some people's theology. Some people have a really hard time with the idea that Jesus died your death and passed into Hades. But if you look at Psalms, so many of the Psalms, it shows, I mean, there's one that says that, that of the Messiah, that the, the snares of death almost compassed me, almost overcame me. The enemy is at my feet compelling him to almost give up. I mean, you have this picture of Jesus in the grave after he died your death, that he, it was almost too much for him. What would have happened if he didn't remain faithful to the promise from God to the Messiah that your enemies will be made your footstool? What if Jesus would have given up on the promise from God like we give up on God's promises. I did that on purpose. Should I say it again? <laughs> Think about it. You have the right to expect every promise from God to manifest in your life because Jesus paid for it. Amen. Amen. That's not prosperity gospel. That's not name it, claim it. That is the expectation of the atonement manifesting. Amen. Just how much do you think is in the atonement? Life. In every facet. Life. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 4. And I just kind of want to hit this idea again of the resurrection was so, you know, evident in the early church message, but there's more to the resurrection than what we realize. You know, we're talking about how can the body come together? I'm sure that some people in the body would disagree with some of the things that I've just pointed out here, but the issue is we know that Jesus raised, right? We know that God raised him from the dead. I mean, that's part of believing unto salvation. So let's keep going here. This is Ephesians 4, 8. Ephesians 4, 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. There, you know, we read things like this, and because we don't really, we've not been taught a lot about the three days in the grave and what happened. You know, there's some speculation. There's some almost mythology that kind of gets brought into it. But you see things like this, and, and it, it just points out to you and that, you know, there's, there's some really important things that we need to be anchored in in the body. It says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. That, mean, that has to do with Jesus having conquered uh, the principalities and powers, but it also indicates that according to Hebrew thought that the righteous that were in paradise were taken to the presence of the Father as well. Some of those things we don't know exactly, but uh, we do know that he stripped princip all principality of principalities and powers of any authority when he came up out of that grave. So, and he gave gifts to men. Next verse. Now, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, just hang right there for a second. That phrase, lower parts of the earth, is how they would describe in Hebrew mindset what Sheol was. The lower parts of the earth was Sheol. So it's like another indication here that he, before he ascended, he descended to the deepest, darkest places because Jesus is not just your redemption. 
He is a testimony to you of what God wants to do for you. It's not just that in Him you're delivered and you're going to go to heaven after you die. It's that in this life right now, what God did through Christ is for you. I want you to look at what Jesus did, what God did through Jesus, and look at it and realize God wants this for me too. Jesus is the testimony to mankind of what God wants for mankind. Religion would say, here's Jesus, he's perfect. If you want to be accepted by God, be as perfect as he is, or at least try really hard. Because he's the example, you gotta fit the you gotta match the bar. He lived perfectly, therefore you gotta live perfectly. He suffered, you gotta suffer. Then you can be accepted. It's like, no. The suffering that Jesus experienced was twofold. One, from the religious, you might experience that. Number two, on the cross for your sin. You can't handle that. Amen. The only persecution or suffering, you know, it says suffer with Christ. The only kind of suffering that you might do with him was from the religious. But when they talk about the resurrection, for them, they're thinking of the three days also of him in the grave. Just how much he conquered on our behalf. And we think that he doesn't want us delivered from sickness and and. All of, that, all of those things that in this world that keep us from experiencing Him. You know, some of us are so uh, rooted in our carnal identity that we don't want to give up our sin. Like, we still think our sin, as guilty as it might make us feel, is still better than being transformed where we don't even desire it anymore. But I'm telling you, the more that you know what Jesus did for you, the more you want to be transformed into Him. And the more you will make choices to let that resurrection power continue to work on you and transform you. Sometimes you don't even know that you can think differently. Sometimes it just has to start with this, like, God, I I really don't want this in my life anymore. I am willing to engage you at a heart level. And just like Jesus remained faithful until it manifested, I am going to yield to you. I don't... And and there is that element of discipline to stay focused on Him, but you're not working for it. You're just doing what it takes for you to stay open to Him to let that transformative power work. You know, sometimes we think, well, God's in control. If He wanted to change me, He'd change me. You think He don't want to change you? I mean, that's, that's where we go with it, right? Well, if he wanted it, he'd do it. Well, he did it in Jesus. He wants it. Do you want it? Do you want deliverance from depression? Do you want deliverance from that anxiety? Do you want deliverance from that porn addiction? I mean, all those things that we hold on to because deep down we still get a little something out of them. But can you really say, this is killing me? This is destructive. I don't know how to deal with this, but God, I know that if I stay focused on who you are and what you did through Jesus, you will manifest within me righteousness because you've already given it to me in his blood spiritually. I want it manifested in my life physically. That's what's getting communicated here. This is the message that we go into the world with. Because Jesus died your death, you can experience freedom from the curse of the law. All of those ordinances that are held against you, God is no longer holding that stuff against you because it's already paid in Jesus. The gospel. When Martha comes to Jesus and says, come heal my brother, and Jesus says, well, he's sleeping. He's going to rise. And Martha's like, well, I know he's going to raise in the resurrection. I mean, that, she thought she might get some attaboys for that. And he's like, this is a good answer. I believe, I'm showing I believe, you know. I mean, I'm reading that into this. But he's like, no, I am the resurrection. She's like, yeah, in the future. He's like, no, now. Amen. I am. Not I will be. Not the resurrection is coming. I am. Say, I am. I am. He is now. For you, he is your resurrection now. 
not once you get it all cleaned up, not once you manage your money better and prove to him that you can be a good steward, then he'll bless you financially. You know, all those little things that we put in our mind before we think we can receive the blessing from him. Romans 8, verse 10. Two more passages. This one and one more. Y'all good? Y'all got extra sleep, so we can, I can preach longer today, right? <laughs> Romans 8, 10. Now, um, again, just talking about a facet of the resurrection is Christ now lives within you. You were raised with him. I'll get to that in a second, but... This is a little bit of a rabbit trail. I know some of you have conversations with people and you start talking to them about how the law doesn't apply to you any longer and how God's not holding your sin against you and it makes them, it makes them freak out and they start calling you a hyper-grace person and they start saying you're antinomial and you've thrown the, the, the law away. and It scares people because what they don't realize is you're talking about a spiritual reality and they're talking about a physical reality. Yes, absolutely, God desires for you to live holy. Absolutely, God. You, if you really want to push it as far as it goes, God expects you to be perfect in your behavior, in your words, in your choices, in how you treat your wife, in how you manage your finances, and in, in everything. You are supposed to be perfect. But that's not how God's relating to you any longer. He's relating to you based on what he's done in your spirit. Does that mean it's okay that in your flesh you continue in sin? No. Who would think that? If you think that that's what we're suggesting, grow up. Develop a little bit of spiritual mindedness and realize, no, we're talking about a greater reality. We're talking about the spiritual reality of what Christ has done within us. That is our hope. This resurrection that God has given to us in spirit is our hope to change the physical but to unite the body so that we actually can be a force that can change this planet. I said it a couple of weeks ago, but think about this. What if every believer on the planet, you know, really, realistically, it's probably about half the planet. The numbers say a third, but I, I, I think it's closer to a half. What if every believer on the planet woke up tomorrow morning and only did what God led them to do. Wow. What, what would happen? I mean, how far are you going to go with that? I take it as far as your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So the difference of... Spirit-mindedness versus carnal-mindedness in conversations about these truths, we're talking about it from the spiritual perspective, knowing that it can change the physical perspective. Amen? So, verse 10, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. And if you continue in sin, the body dies quicker. And it's not just death where the spirit eventually leaves. We're talking divorce. We're talking sickness. We're talking debt. We're talking other relationships splintered. We're talking job loss. You know what I mean? That's the fruit of sin. But watch this. This is so... This is why Paul was accused of preaching that sin didn't matter. Because watch what he says here. He says, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Your spirit is life. It's alive because of righteousness. But watch what he does here, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So he says, your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Your body's dead because of sin, but if that spirit of righteousness is in you, even the death that's in your body, God is giving life to your body to experience life. That almost sounds like he's saying it don't matter if you sin because God's just going to keep giving your body enough life. But who would actually think that that's what he's saying? <laughs> 
only the legalist that's looking to catch people for saying you're giving people a license to sin. You're setting them too free. No, it's only in absolute freedom that you will make the right choice. Otherwise, there's a little bit of an obligation back there, always tainting your free will. There's always a little bit of law, always a little bit of legal anchor there, making you feel like I've got to do this and it's not a full choice of your heart. Freedom's a big deal. Last verse, Ephesians 2, 4. You know, we're, and I'm praying the Holy Spirit puts all that. I know I'm giving you a lot, but the, the, the deal is we represent God. And the way we represent God is we love one another in the body. And we turn that unity in spirit with one another toward the world. And the fruit should be they believe that God sent Jesus into the world. If they do that, they will be made righteous as well. That is what God wants to do through us for the world. Amen? So Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, it's always God's motivation, you know? This, this should always be the pretext of any preaching. Because of God's love for us, because he's rich in mercy, because he wants good things for you. Next verse. <clears throat> Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is fascinating to me. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Leave it on that one for a minute. You know, it's like, okay, what's the big crescendo of where we're going as the body of Christ? What is it that God's master plan is? You know, he gave us this earth. He gave us free will. He said, be fruitful and multiply. We messed it up. Jesus came to fruition to redeem us from that. God, Jesus wasn't plan B. It was from the beginning that, Jesus, that we would have righteousness in Jesus, whether we'd sinned or not. We would be acceptable by faith in Him. But this is what it all boils down to, that because God loves us in the life of Christ, He made us one with Him so that in the ages to come, He could be kind to us. This is where it all goes. This is what it all comes down to. You ever wonder what you're going to do in heaven? It's like, okay, all of this, where are we going? Are we going to start it over? Is it going to be another planet? Are we going to be angels to other planets or something like that? I don't know. We come up with some weird stuff. It's like, no. This is what we will be experiencing. Amen. His kindness Amen. in the ages to come. This is what God wants for you. This is what we are to go into the world and bring people to the hopeful expectation that God, even into eternity, has good plans for you and wants to be kind to you. Let me and my fellow brothers and sisters show you what this kindness looks like on this planet so you will desire God now and you won't miss it because there is a hell to shun. There is separation from God for all eternity, and you don't want that. In God, there is forgiveness. Look what he did in Jesus. You can be set free from everything that binds you from this world. He did it through Jesus. That's what God wants for you as well. This is what we tell. This is what we go into the world with this message. And then God confirms that word with miracles and signs and wonders. You tell someone, God wants you free from sickness because Jesus paid for that sickness on the cross. I am moved by God's love for you. Let me pray for you. Let me touch you. Let me put my hands on you because I have the authority to represent God. And what God wants for you is life. Let me show you. Amen. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about your anointing or what anointing and gift you think you have that somebody else doesn't have. There's one God. 
There's one anointing. That's Christ in you. He's the measure. When God's measuring out gifts and giving them out, he's like, what do you get? Christ, fill it up. What do you get? Christ, fill it up. You get it all. Man, it's pretty easy. It takes religion to mess it up. Religion plays on our guilt, our shame, our fear, our condemnation, lets us wallow around in our carnal identity, and then the enemy comes and affirms that to us. And it's like, no, I, I, have to, I have to become a different person, and I am that different person in Christ. I have to see myself in light of what Jesus did to the depths of the darkest places that exist, to the very throne of God. Jesus experienced that for me. I think if we can focus on that as the body, that will be the glue that unites us. And we can look at each other. I don't care how you vote. I think you might be crazy for voting that way, but that's just your carnal mind. Your spiritual mind says King Jesus. Amen? Amen. I don't know how he's voting. I'm just, you know. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. We thank you for becoming a human and doing everything necessary for mankind to share in your divine nature. You said you made us great and precious promises that we would be partakers of your divine nature. We're not just here with a message. We're here with power. And we want to represent you, God. We will go into this earth linked arms with our brothers and sisters, looking at them through your eyes, affirming to whatever it is that we see within the body of Christ, we're going to find that common ground, the resurrection that is in you, and we're going to represent you. We are going to point people to you, Jesus. We're going to point people to your character, to your authority. So I am committed to rooting my heart deep within what you have done within who you are, within your will for this earth, and that is heaven on earth, so that you can be kind to us even in the ages to come. God, you're just good. You only want good things for us. Thank you for your grace to represent you. Amen.